Who else? Stand up if you're in the Harvest Project. <laughs> Is it good? So there is going to be a third year, at least a third year. It'll probably keep progressing as long as the Lord um, is, is moving on it. So um, if, you, if you think uh, this is a, a leadership discipleship school, um, if, if you feel like that might be for you, um, come talk to Paul um, about next year. And, and it's really, really worth it. I've never heard a negative thing about it. Um, so if you feel like that might be something for you, um, please, please check it out. people over there just to kind of partner with John Tolo and, and his crew. And so um, I'm just going to start off by telling you guys a story about a girl named Katie. Um, Katie grew up in a single parent home. Um, her, her mom went through a lot of pain, a lot of abuse, a lot of just oppression <laughs> in her life, and she didn't receive a lot of healing at all. And so she, um, she... <laughs> yeah, Brandon. Okay, um, so her, her mom wasn't able to give her the love and attention that she needed as a little girl, so she kind of just grew up feeling pretty just alone and, um, and just kind of, I don't know, just didn't have a whole lot of support. When she was four years old, she met her, her biological dad for the first time, and he ended up sexually molesting her from that time for the next 10 years. He was kind of in and out of her life. Um, she was molested by a, a kid at school, in elementary school, and she just, um, she was just, ex obviously because of that, just felt very dirty, very um, insecure, and just no hope. And so she was also bullied because she couldn't relate to the kids. She started getting in trouble a lot at school, just crying out for attention, got in with the wrong crowd, starting doing drugs and alcohol. Um, ended up dating a guy and ran off with him who was pretty abusive towards her. She, um, she got pregnant a couple of times with him and he forced her to have an abortion. And so she was just crying out. She's just like, she needed something. She needed, um, some sort of support. And so she ends up connecting with a guy she knew from her boyfriend at the time who lived out in California and he was promising her a better life. Uh, to get her a job. He had a lot of money. And so she's just like, well, I might as well just, just go out that, there. So um, she ended up flying out to California and that's when life got super bad. He ended up being a drug lord at a, at a huge mansion on, um, on the beach. And she was basically a sex toy for seven guys who lived there. And, um, and just really got into some, a lot of hard drugs after that, was addicted to heroin, for four months was just high partying that that whole life and just um, she ends up on the beach when she was about April and she the first time she was sober in, in four months and she's looking out at the ocean just kind of looking back on her life and she's like how did I get here you know um, and and just was just saying you know what like if I just commit suicide tonight no one would care no, um, and so she just decided that she was going to take her life and so a lot of the issues that define Katie's life, an absent father, 
a wounded mother, abuse, neglect, negative peer, peers, and lack of effective outside intervention have become a commonplace for a lot of young adults now um, with this, this generation. And this, this generation just breaks my heart. When I hear the statistics, when I see the faces, it's just a huge, huge passion of mine. And I believe that God is calling um, the church, his bride, says as the end times draw near that he's going to restore the hearts of his children to, to, the, to the fathers, the fathers to the children. And I believe that God is going to use the church to come alongside these kids who don't have anyone speaking into them, that, that safety blanket. Um, and so um, today we're going we're gonna to look at an example in the Bible about the Apostle Paul and how he, believe, I believe, took an at-risk youth and discipled him and told him about Jesus and walked with him and, um, and, and just taught him how to be a man. And I don't know if you guys are super familiar with the book of Philemon. Um, you can turn there if you want. It's right before Hebrews in the New Testament. And just a summary of Philemon, I've talked to a lot of people and they're like, I don't even know what, what is that book. And um, it's, it's a hidden book. It's pretty short. But what it's about, just a, a quick summary, um, it's about Philemon is a Christian slave owner and he owns a slave named Onesimus. And so Onesimus um, is just a punk kid. He ends up stealing from Philemon and runs away to, to Rome. And when he was um, and in a crime in that day was punishable by death if, if someone if a slave ran away from his master. And so when he, he ends up in Rome and he encounters the Apostle Paul who preaches a gospel to him, he comes to know Jesus and and then um, the Apostle Paul did something really risky and he he um, he discipled him and he reached out to him and he became a father to him and he taught him the ways of the Lord. And, um, and so this book right now is what we see is, is Paul is writing a, a letter back to Philemon and he's sending Onesimus back to his original slave owner. And he's asking Philemon to, to for one, one, forgive him, forgive Onesimus for what he did, but also just to welcome him back. And he's explaining the transformation that has happened in this young boy's life. And so just a couple, um, a couple just how I see Onesimus and at-risk youth kind of similar is, is first of all, in their age. Um, Onesimus is probably, or he's, it says he's about his late teens when this, this letter was written. And then next he, um, he was a slave, which means he belonged to the, the lowest class of the Roman society. And in that time, there was no rags to riches story. It was impossible pretty much to break out of that class. And so, um, and even just, um, I guess if a, if a slave was, if he was caught, if he, a runaway slave was caught, you could actually brand the letter F on their forehead, um, which symbolized fugitive. And in the same way, I see a lot of at-risk youth being branded with labels that are like really hard for them to break out of. You know, I see labels like at, um, just even like at-risk. Um, slow learner, troublemaker, just like your father, EBD, which is emotional behavior disorder, um, and even special needs, just these different labels that are just being thrown at them at a very kindergarten, very young age from the schools that, that they just come to believe that, and it's hard for them to break out of that identity. And then third, Onesimus was on the run. 
Um, he just didn't have any hope. He was a slave. His parents were a slave. His kids will be slaves. Like it was just, that's all he had. And so he didn't have any hope for the future. And, and so he was on the run constantly. Just, um, and I, I see that a lot of, of, of at-risk youth who, who they don't have a hope. They, they're just hoping that they'll be 20 years old and not in prison or not dead, you know? And so there's just, um, so I see, uh, yeah, so, and then lastly, someone inter- intervened for an SMS. Paul came alongside him, and, and the Holy Spirit was able to transform this kid's life. And so I'm going to read um, Philemon, verse 8 or so, to 20. Let's see. According, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been very glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he parted for you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I, repay, I will repay it to say nothing of your own owning even me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And so here we, here we see Paul obviously discipling. And I want to just kind of just take a fresh look of, of what does it mean to be a disciple, to disciple someone. We're called to go make disciples of all nations, right? And what, is that, what does that really look like? And what does that mean? And just kind of a how Paul, um, how what we see in Paul in this story. First of all, I see in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. And so Paul, I see a lot in Philemon, but also throughout the, the letters that he addresses people as his children or that he's the father. And, it, and when you think of discipleship as a father, son, mother, daughter, relationship there's a commitment there there's an attentionality there it's not about hey i'm going to bring you to church or i'm going to connect you with someone who's more equipped than me or if you're a single mom i'll plug you into the single moms program at our church you know there's an intentionality of like that ownership of him and um and that i believe um needs to happen in the churches is it's cha- it needs to change from a, a more of a programmatic model to a a relational model and so, um, just a verse that I really like, 1 Corinthians 4.15, it says, For though you might have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Indeed, in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. And I see a lot of people have guides in life. A lot of kids have guides. They have social workers. They have case managers. They have teachers. They have pastors. They have, uh, but, but how many people are coming alongside these kids and saying, I'm your father. You're my child. And I'm, and I'm bringing you into my family. That is, that's an extreme. That's like, that's not just, it's not easy. Right. And so, 
Um, I think just even with the, the fatherless generation, these kids are yearning for that type of relationship. They're just longing and they don't even know it. They don't even know that they're missing it or that what they're, they're lacking. But I think it's just in them of just like that family that God has, has placed in each one of us. And so let's see, number two, I see that, um, that Paul walked with him through the transformation process. He, he explains that Onesimus was once useless, but now he's useful, which means there's a huge difference that changed. So Philemon's probably like, who is this kid? Like he, he has this, his own view of who um, Onesimus is. And, and so there was a transformation that happened. And, and I can just picture Paul not only teaching him about, about Jesus and about the gospel, but walking with him, teaching him how to work, how to work hard, how to respect people, how to, you know, just like a father would and, and just like a mother would with their kids. And, and it was a transformation, uh, transformational, like when Jesus comes in, he, he transfer, transforms our entire being, right? And so I think about um, even just some of the verses that when Paul talks about discipleship, he doesn't talk about as it's like a super easy process, right? He talks about in Galatians, he, he equates discipleship to, to labor pains. And he's like, I am in, in like pains of labor until Christ is formed in you. And it's this painful process that, that it takes time and, it, and it, it's hard work, but it's, it's worth it that Christ would be formed in this person. And you, and you picture this kid, that he's probably a teenage boy, he's a slave, and there's probably a, a lot of rough edges. And he's probably like, I can't believe you just said that or did that. You know, you just think of the things that, that happens in discipleship that it's like that there's patience that has to happen and, and to walk alongside someone. And so some of the other verses that I, I found, I was just going through the, the, the letters and just how does he view discipleship? He says, First Thessalonians, it says, um, but, you were gen- but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. You know, he didn't just share the gospel with them. He gave himself to people. He fully said, this is my entire being. I am, you know, he laid him, himself down for, for this kid and for so many other people. And then also one of my favorite verses um, is in Colossians 1, It says, him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. Praise God, he does it. Like God gives us the strength and he gives us the power to invest in people. And so um, third, we see that Paul gives Onesimus vision and purpose and also a place to belong. You know, think of a kid who is a slave. He doesn't think outside that, I'm sure. And so God has placed in him um, a destiny, and he had to call that forth and, and even just giving him vision of even going back to Philemon, his slave owner. What does that mean? What does that look like? How is he going to relate to him? And I see, again, we need to call forth people's destinies. We need to call, come alongside people and speak hope and speak identity and speak purpose into them so that they can be thrusted back into the harvest. And just like, um, just like parents with the kid, they, they're teaching them and they're being intentional with them. And so when they're 18 or whatever, they can go out of the house and they can start their own families and they can walk in what God has created them to do. 
and also a place to belong. He's asking Philemon if he would if he would bring him back into it, not only as a slave but as in a, as a, as his family, you know, and bring him into a place where he can feel comforted. He can have that family structure, as as Paul is in prison at the time he's writing this letter. Um, and then lastly, we see that Paul uh, he took a stand for Onesimus. He put his reputation on the line. You know, think of think of this this. This kid, it's like his rep. If if he would have, if he was just playing him, or if he was gonna go steal again from him, or whatever. But Paul was saying, you know what? Look, like this guy has changed. Whatever he owes you, I will pay. Please take him back, not only as a slave, but also as an equal. Like that's ridiculous. He's a slave, and he's asking Philemon to not only forgive him for what he did, but to bring him back as as a brother in Christ. Um, which is just crazy. And so today I believe a lot of young people, they need advocates like Paul. They need people who are going to um, stand up for them, say, I believe in you, and, and put their neck out on the line, basically. you know. And so we think about uh, even just all of the letters in, in the Bible. We don't, we don't get an answer of what happened, right? So did... Philemon ever take Onesimus back? Did he did he listen to him? And we don't we don't know for sure because the Bible doesn't exactly say what happened, what was his response. But really cool. So there's a guy named Ignatius, a bishop of Antioch, and he was um, he was writing letters to churches to encourage them in the faith. And so as he was um, I think this is about 50 years later, he is writing to the church of Ephesus and just encouraging them and building them up. And he and, and the person he was addressing it to is like super, like bears a very resemblance to a runaway slave. And he says in there, you were once useless, but now you are useful. And then he addresses it to a guy named Onesimus, Bishop of Ephesus. And so if we can connect all of the dots, it looks like Philemon did take him into the family he, he took over where Paul left off in the discipleship process, and then he not only became a citizen, but he became a leader in the church of Ephesus, which is crazy. <laughs> so um, going back to my, my, the girl, Katie, so she's sitting there on the beach, right? She's contemplating suicide. And you guys, the God of the universe stepped in. Um, he audibly spoke to her in her right ear and said, Katie. And at first she was freaking out. She was like looking around and she's like, who was that? And then she just lost it. And she knew that there was a God in heaven that cared about her, that loved her. And so she ends up getting a, a plane ticket home and, and um, goes back to Des Moines, Iowa and at that time, she, within the first few weeks, she connects with a guy who she used to party with. But this guy had an encounter with Jesus two years ago, two years prior. And so she starts preaching the go- or he starts preaching the gospel to her, and then he invites her to church. And she had a really, really bad experience with church as well, so she was super nervous. But she ends up going because she was just wanting to know this God who, t- who called her name. And so um, she goes to church with him, and she is embraced by a bunch of women who welcome her into her, their, their lives. Women who spoke life into her, who loved her, who accepted her. She, she gave her life to Jesus pretty quickly afterwards, got baptized, um, and then moved into a, 
a transitional Christian home through a ministry called Freedom for Youth Ministries in Des Moines. And, and not, she not only had just her church, but she had just mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters coming alongside her, inviting her into their family. And she had a family for the first time. Um, they walked alongside her um, as she got her driver's license, as she got her GED, she got her CNA. They taught her how to work. They taught her how to um, just people skills and, and just things that you, that it's, it's just common for a lot of us, you know, and, and, um, and then she got, she, about like four, four months later or so, um, we had her write her vision statement or her, her eulogy as if like a short eulogy, as if she were to live till she was 80 years old. And this is only four months after she moved in the house. This is what she wrote. She said, Katie heard God's voice at age 20 and followed him to the ends of the earth faithfully. She gave up everything for the sake of Christ. And though she was bound to this earth for 80 years, her heart and mind were bound to Christ. Her life can be described by these few words, the peace of heaven reigns, salvation is my banner. She was steadfast and fought for hope, and she is finally reunited with her first and true love, Jesus Christ. So, for, so she was always like super rebellious, very like a risk taker, very adventurous. And, and the Holy Spirit called her to go out to a YWAM trip out in Kona, where she ends up going to the Middle East last summer and fell in love with the Middle Eastern women. And, and she wants to give her life for, for women who don't know love and who have never experienced love before. And so now she's in um, getting her, her RN to be a nurse so she can go on the mission fields and give her life for that. And so, yeah, right? Um, so we think about dis- discipleship, um, like people's lives are messy and, and what's going to motivate us to, to lay our lives down? What's going to motivate us to really do this? And it's not going to be, um, a convicting message or statistics about the fatherless generation or all of these things. That's not going to, it'll motivate us. Maybe it'll give us compassion or like a, a desire to get involved, but one, it's going to obviously the power of the Holy Spirit, but I believe we need a, a fresh revelation of the gospel and what happened when Jesus laid his life down for us. Um, as we look at the story of, of Paul and Onesimus, it looks super familiar to us, right? Every single one of us was created for God. He is our rightful owner and master. Just like Onesimus, we rebelled against him. We are like sheep who have gone our own way. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We said, I won't have this master to rule over me. So we took our body, our intelligence, the talents and resources God entrusted to us, and we spent them on ourselves. Claiming to be free, we became a slave to sin. We were condemned fugitive on the run, useless to our rightful master. And just like Onesimus, God had his sovereign hand on us. In his time, as we were running in the opposite direction, he led us to cross paths with someone who eventually shared the gospel with us. We thought, how could I possibly return to God and stand before him with everything I've done? Then the Savior tells us not to try to argue our case. We are to simply give our master this letter. We look down and we read, accept him as you accept me. But we're like, how could he? Like all of these things that I've done. And then we look down again and he says, but if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Maybe you've heard it before, but your eyes have been opened in a new way and you start to get it. Christ paid your debt on the cross and you can trust in the Savior who paid the debt you owed. 
You return to the master and willingly place yourself under his lordship. For this first time in your life, you are truly free. You were welcomed into the family as a son or daughter of God. You now have a sense of value, of purpose, of hope, and he gave us a place to belong and now entrusts you with his reputation by calling us his own. And so I don't know, um, I don't want to put my calling on you. I know this season God is calling me to Godtown to work with at-risk youth. Um, I know if you guys are stirred at all and you're excited about what God's doing at Godtown, there's tons and tons of, of ways to, to get involved. I know there's even just um, constructing housing, um, if you have gifting in that, or there's the garden. Um, if you if you want to move down there and just be available for what God's doing, there's a group of us moving down there. Um, we're starting a house church, or even just working with at-risk youth, you can talk to Karsten. Where's Karsten? Karsten, you want to raise your hand? She's way back there. So you can talk to her if you're interested in all. But I just want to encourage you, um, even in this next time, just ask the Holy Spirit for a revelation of the gospel and, and that he would fill us with his love and that would compel us and thrust us into the harvest to lay our lives down for whoever God is calling you and bringing to you. So hopefully Dan is going to come up and transition. Thank you.